back to The Short Game. This is a show about short video games, games that respect your time. I'm Reagan Kelly, and I'm joined by my awesome co-hosts this week. Laura Nash. Shane Kelly. And this week, we are playing Baba Is You. Baba Is You is a puzzle game for the Switch and for Windows. It's available on all of the various stores, including H.io, Steam, the Humble Store, etc. And it's by a Finnish developer named uh, Hempuli Oi. I very much hope I pronounced that right, but I am almost certain that I did not. So apologies in advance to the developer. You created a really cool game. We tried to Google your name, but when I said Hempuli pronunciation, it just said, are you looking to see the word humble? No. Of nope. course I was, Google. Thank you. Yeah, so uh, we uh, we decided to pick this up because it came out on Switch uh, March 13th, so pretty recently, and it's had some good buzz, but this is a game that's been sort of vaguely on my radar for a long time because uh, as far back as 2018, it was a winner of the Independent Games Festival. It won both uh, Excellence in Design and Best Student Game. Uh, this was the year that... Um, that uh, Night in the Woods won the sort of grand prize, and so I was kind of paying attention to the uh, to the awards at that time um, because I'm you know I loved Night in the Woods, and I was like, what is this weird little puzzle game that won like two of? There's not that many categories in IGF, so it won two of those categories, um, and it had also previously won the Nordic Game Jam in 2017. So it's been making uh, it's been sort of percolating for a while. And when it popped up on the Switch store, I was like a little surprised. I didn't know it was, it was coming to Switch, actually. I, I guess I hadn't been paying attention. So I was very excited to see it there and bought it immediately. And um, wow, what an interesting game. Any puzzle game worth its salt lives and dies on a concept. And Baba's You is a game um, kind of like other games you've played in the past where you're manipulating rules. But what makes this one really cool is the rules are physically embodied on screen. So it's called Baba is You. The first puzzle, you see the words Baba is you on screen. They're each in a little square, in a little block on screen. And the idea of the game is that these are little physical things you can move around. So you can bop them, push them, pull them, depending on your superpowers, which we'll get to. But as you slide these around like a parking lot or a sliding block puzzle, you are changing what you are. So a couple things. Um, Baba is one thing, is is another, and you is another is a third thing. Like little programming Lego bricks. Exactly. So you can actually see Baba is you on screen at all times. You know what the rule is, but you can change it. Have, has anyone played with stuff like, uh, I want to say it's called Scratch, the mm-hmm. little visual programming language? Uh, playing this game is kind of like, uh, someone has taken all the parts in Scratch and then just like uh, deliberately arranged them in an infuriating way. <laughs> yeah, so it really it really gives you a um, kind of the feeling of like, okay, what are my options? What can I recombine? What can I re-recombine in different ways to ultimately trigger a win condition? And what's really neat about this game in terms of its puzzles to me are the, the win conditions in every other puzzle game I've ever played uh, are all about like, okay, here's your goal. And it starts you off that way. It's usually, okay, you know, get to the flag and somewhere on screen it says flag is win. So there you go. But what's really neat in this game is it really starts to subvert that and play around with it in that you might have to assemble your own win condition out of all the other 
components. So you might have, you know, there were lots of times where I thought I was trying to, you know, get to the flag, but really what I needed to do was something like take the is win off of the flag statement and stick it on something else uh, and then turn that thing into the win condition and then win that way. Exactly. So if you have the sentences, Bobbit is you and flag is win, you can take the is win off flag, stick them under Baba, and now it says Baba is win, Baba is you. You are now the win condition and you win. Yep. Simple as that. Uh, except this game gets really hard really fast. So order matters. Like you can start saying like Baba is key, but that's different from key is Baba. You can start, you know, there are things in corners. You have little uh, rules in the corner that you were completely walled in, you can't touch. So there's things you can't change. Uh, what's really wonderful about this game is that each time you capture a concept, like you realize you can become another object, it unlocks a whole series of puzzles around that theme. Um, it gates itself conceptually. So you don't, you know, you do one puzzle, you can do the next. If you get stuck, you can always go back to the previous puzzle, figure out what you were supposed to learn and go forward. Little <laughs> hint. <laughs> like, um, especially if you're doing this like I did, where you put it down, you get frustrated, come back. Um, but really, overall, you're just taking these words, shifting them around, um, and trying to make a win state. Here's the thing. It's called Baba is You. You must always exist. The one overarching rule is no matter what you do, you have to be something. So Rock is you, Baba is you. But the second you break that, you die. So there's no death. You can always rewind. But that's the end of your game. I think that's worth calling out specifically is the rewind mechanic. Um, the, the game is really user-friendly in that it gives you the ability to hit a button and just take unlimited undo steps, you know, kind of winding backwards all the way to the start of the level. Uh, or at any point, you can hit a button and jump all the way back, undoing everything you've tried in the level. And you'll need that because in this game, experimentation really pays off, like uh, turning, taking that is you uh, element and putting it onto something that's like the grass. Uh, suddenly, you're no longer controlling the little sheep Baba. Uh, you're suddenly controlling every piece of grass in the entire level. Uh, and as you press up, down, left, and right, all of those things are moving around. That opens up a lot of new abilities and options for you, ways that you could push things around that weren't possible before. So uh, being able to – and then, but you might realize, oh, gosh, this does nothing for me. So you have to undo or redo. So there, it gives you a lot of freedom to experiment and try things without having to worry about, uh, I lost my progress. You never really feel that in this game. Yeah, I love that it was simultaneously fiddly. It wants you to play with objects. It wants you to guess a lot. And that it never punishes you for experimenting. You can always rewind. And this is not a game where they are counting steps. So many puzzle games are like, how few moves can you do this in? Baba Edithu is not interested in that. It kind of just wants you to figure it out no matter yeah. what. You know, something else I want to mention real quick that I think we kind of expressed, but that is a big part of the challenge of this game is that this is all spatial. Like you could compare everything we've been talking about here, this sort of rule building or rather 
on-the-fly editing of the rules of the game. You know, there there have been other sort of programming-oriented puzzle games in the past. We've we covered uh, Human Resource Machine on this show before, for example. That is like about the idea of like fooling with the rules of the game or or kind of setting up a state wherein you can win the puzzle. But what really sets this apart is the fact that all of those rules are objects and they're all part of the sort of standard motion mechanics of the game, which are very based in that sort of, um, Laura mentioned it as sort of um, block puzzle or, or parking lot puzzle. Or if you're, if you're familiar with Sokoban puzzles, it's that sort of style. And sometimes just the hardest part of these levels isn't so much real knowing like what needs what what uh, what rules to combine in order to create your win condition and win the game? Sometimes it's just hard to get to figure out how you're supposed to get things from point A to point B on the level layout. So maybe you're walled in and you have to figure out a way to move the walls around. Maybe it's something as simple as there's an object in a corner and you can't push it out of the corner because of the way that it's arranged. Um, that sort of Sokoban style puzzle is. I mean, it's a it's a total classic. It's all, this is a but it's a, this is a really clever twist on that that adds this entirely new depth where you can sort of totally change how that puzzle works uh, if you can figure out how to move the the rule from place to place and kind of rearrange things. Yeah, I'm often challenged in a puzzle game either by the concept, knowing how to solve something, or by the execution. This is a rare game where both are challenging, where it takes a while to figure out how you should manipulate the rules, and then also the execution can be physically tricky, that spatial put. I'm I'm awful at spatial puzzles, but it's still satisfying. And often, um, how many puzzle games have you done where you're like, well, I figured it out, but now it's just like 30 button presses to get the answer. It's really a tough trick to make both halves interesting. Yeah, and some of the puzzles are harder because of their sort of spatial arrangement, and others are harder because of their um, because of a, you know a curveball they throw you with the uh, with the rules or you know something like that. Um, but they're always operating on both levels. It's always operating as both a a difficult but fair Sokoban style you know block pushing puzzle and this sort of rule building. Uh, logic puzzle. And it, the combination of those is just like so perfect here. Like it's so clever. Yeah. Half the time I wouldn't know the concept. I would start pushing blocks around and I would see new possibilities. Yeah. So yeah. they feed off each other. It's a real good loop. Yeah. You discover new things. Like you're like, oh, well, I've I've pushed all the blocks around and I know I only have access to this many, uh, this many possible combinations. I'm just going to have to start trying things. And you're like, oh, I didn't even think to try to put like, um, you know, rock has key and rock is weak and then smash the rock to get a key. Like that's a, it took me forever to figure out that that was a thing that I had to do. But once I did, I was like, oh, that's brilliant. And I felt really smart, but also like it, it just does a really good job of like giving you just the tools you need to figure out like a new mechanic uh, in a kind of usually the very first level in an area gives you know, puts you in a fairly restricted space, gives you just the tools you need to discover some new interaction between this all sort of feels like it's about these like emergent. Obviously, it's all planned out, but these sort of sort of feels like emergent interactions between these rules let you discover some new sort of emergent behavior that happens when you combine things in a particularly new way. And then once you do that, then you've got these much more complicated puzzles that try to use that same sort of thing 
or at least they mostly do. Sometimes they're faking you out. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, I love that. Some classic tutorializing in this game design. They, they, and one of the things I love about that aspect of how it's all um, kind of broadens out from a single idea in each new area is that when it does broaden out, having it give you the option to tackle these puzzles uh, in a progression, but in a lot of cases with a lot of options in terms of which one you tackle next. Yeah. Um, that's so, so nice just to be able to like get pissed off at one puzzle, do another puzzle, and then immediately come back to that first puzzle and realize, oh, well, now I understand this a little bit better and I can just snap right through it. Absolutely. Uh, the gating of the game is really, really smart. Um, it's it, it never really blocks you like the the progression through the, the stages. It, there's an overworld and it's divided up into these sort of zones and each zone contains a bunch of puzzles. But first of all, you usually have a choice of several of the zones at any one time. So if you're fed up with one zone, you can go and try a different one. And within each zone, usually you just have to beat six of the puzzles. And there's usually over a dozen in each zone, sometimes more, quite a lot more than that. And you, you can't pick them in absolutely any order, but each time you finish one puzzle, it unlocks several more for you to choose from. So it's always branching out. It's always giving you more options for what to try and what approach to take uh, through the through the game. I'm definitely not done with it yet, and I don't think I probably will finish this game for a while. But uh, I mean, actually, maybe we should talk about that now. It's, yeah. it's pretty I mean, darn I'd hard. say this game is short <laughs> in a way like 80 Days is short or an interactive fiction game is short where there's a lot of branching. There's a lot of options like uh, someone has done the adding up and there are technically 219 levels, um, which is not short. But it does fit in that it's a short session. You can get the concept of the game quickly, and that like there is an a kind of speedway. If you're not really doing extra credit puzzles, you're not really trying to be a completionist. Uh, you can get a really good sense of this game after just a couple hours, which I will also say is not true for a lot of puzzle games like this. So mm. it's still, you know, I think um, Reagan said like, no story, no theme. I don't feel bad. <laughs> about not finishing it, which yeah, true. Yeah, that's that was my feel bads on The Witness. Um, I really wanted to hear more of that uh, f- philosophical blathering. And, oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, I felt Tell like me I about Kant. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, this game really could use a narrator that wants to tell me about Kant. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, it's just a cute little sheep and there's no characterization of the sheep. It's just a sprite. Yeah, that is that is super important to this game because like I I I 100% feel bad when there's a game where it's like there is a story, there are characters and if there's a story, I want to finish that story. This doesn't make me feel that way and that's actually a huge relief for this type of game because I know there's I can There's not even a light one like a right. Mario level or even a braid level. Like there's just none. There's zero. Yeah, there's zero. no princesses in another castle. Just solve the next puzzle. Which is an absolute relief in in this game like i don't always say that i i love story in games and i'm not one of these people that like gameplay is king story is trash like that's not how i operate but like this is a oh this is a breath of fresh air with for puzzle games i think it made me realize that like while i i i will live for a story in a platformer or an action game or something based on exploration or that sort of thing um, when it comes to puzzle games, I think 
I think a story just makes me upset that I'm dumb and can't get through to the rest of the story. Like it just makes me get frustrated. This never had that feeling. I did get frustrated well, very the story, frequently. How does this rank compared to the story of Puyo Pop Fever? Ha. Uh, or Puyo Puyo Tetris, you know, which really had a twist to the story. I mean, that game had way too much story. Like, good <laughs> Lord. Like they a would not percent. shut up. They would never <laughs> shut up. But like this game... Yeah, such a relief. It, I I'm, I love the the sort of very the lightness of this game, and it's it's so it's such a breeze, even when it's very hard. <laughs> yeah, I mean the levels have titles, but it's not as if there's any progression, and it's not as if it's like now you're in the water kingdom. Like it, it, it's concepts, but it's not like the titles. You really could just not read anything in the titles and be fine. Um, I yeah. was going to say you don't need They're to read anything, but the whole sometimes. game's about moving words around, so you have to read. <laughs> uh, the, 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 I, there was some of them that were really kind of made me laugh just at the design and how the design comes together with the with the titles. Um, there was one that was like crossing the river, and then the next one after that was crossing the river. And it was basically <laughs> like an iteration of the same puzzle where it's like, no. You're not going to. And then I think another one in that was just like river. <laughs> yeah. And there's one called poem in which the words are arranged for uh, roses are red, violets. Uh, roses is red. Violet is blue. Flag is win. Baba is you. And you have to figure out how to beat the game. <laughs> that one was so good. That one was so, so good. That one took me a really long time, actually. Yeah. Um, I had yeah. to take a couple stabs at that one. I think it involved something like. Um, pushing the is down so that I could move uh, the whole column of uh, of subjects I- downward Just uh, without ruining the poem. Baba is you, and then pushing parts of it up so I could move some stuff around, and then finally knocking the red roses word out of the top and bringing that around to the bottom, and becoming the roses or something like that. A true sign of a good puzzle game is if you try to describe a solution, you just sound insane. Yes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Particularly here where like Baba is roses or whatever is, is definitely going to be confusing, but, but it makes perfect sense in the context of the level. I'm hoping they won't do this, but part of me is like, it's so Dadaist. I feel like there should be like a Dada is you uh-huh. level or something. I don't know. We'll figure it out. This game, like, I mean, we're talking about how it feels a little bit breezy and yet it's actually a really, really hard game. Like this is a this is one of the hardest puzzle games that I've is not the hardest puzzle game I've ever played, but it's definitely the hardest one of the hardest puzzle games I've ever really enjoyed, um, which is exciting for me. I feel good about that because like this is oh, man, I can't I I can't believe how how stumped I am by this game and and still keep coming back to it and still having fun with it. Um, It. It's really designed for very short play sessions. So, you know, the short game, but like very, it's perfect on the Switch. It really makes sense to like pick it up and play a level or two and, you know, set it down when you're frustrated, come back when you're not, and you'll discover something new. Uh, Every single play session I've had with this game, I've picked it up. I've played several levels, usually, you know, three or four, and then I'll hit a little bit of a wall and think, I have played every single level there is to play in this game that I that I could possibly play 
I, and I've tried all of them and all of them are, are dead ends for me. I can't figure anything out and I'll set down my switch and I'll come back to it the next day and I'll almost immediately realize either that I figured out a new solution or that there was a whole area that I was forgetting about and I can go back and try something different. And, and it always, I always feel like I'm starting on a downhill slope. I always feel like I'm like rolling into it, you know, always a rolling start. Uh, you know, so that's really kind of why I think this belongs on the short game, even though like I've spent six hours with the game and I'm definitely not done with it. But like it it feels like something that we cover, partly because of the short play sessions, but just also I think because of the way the game is designed. It's designed in a way that I think will really appeal to people who like the sorts of games that we talk about on this show. Yeah, it's it's a game that is taking some very simple concepts and just really, really looping through them. Um, it's not as if like, it's not like a Metroidvania where suddenly you can fly. <laughs> like, you, you'll be like, oh, the game entirely changes because of the word and. <laughs> like, <laughs> it, it's little things that can transform the game. And that's what I think really gives it its flexibility and the complexity. It's a game about syntax and it's way more fun than that sounds. Yeah, I also yeah. think if you are the kind of person who likes thinking about game design, then this is a game that's going to be really appealing to you because not only are you experience a game that it, game that is quite well designed, you know the elements of the game are game rules, game pieces, uh, and by turning that kind of substructure of the game into the actual playing pieces uh, that you're interacting with uh, and making all of those rules malleable. Um, you just have this sandbox to fuck around in in a delightful way. And so if you are if you're the kind of person who thinks about, you know, well, what could what could what could work in a in this in my game? Or if you're if you're thinking about the things in that way, um, I think this is a game that really is just Zen for for game designers. Yeah. If you're a longtime listener, I did think a lot about the Magic Circle, another game that oh. you can rewrite rules on the fly. Um, just because it has the same power of you transform a couple buttons and really surreal things could happen. So if you enjoy the rewriting rules puzzle game, but thought like, what if this was an open world game? Maybe try Magic Circle in our back <laughs> And you want you want your story with your Baba. Exactly. Yeah, yeah that, that game is really good. I wish it had done better in the market. Like people, if you haven't played the Magic Circle, go check that game out. Listen to our episode on it. It was really cool. Um, yeah, like I I don't know how much more there is to say about this. We tend to go fairly short on puzzle game oriented episodes because, you know, once you've described how the puzzle game works, it's not like we have a story or themes to walk through here. Um it, it's it's just a really good and cleverly designed puzzle game. A lot of puzzle games are all focused on rules. Um these are the rules, you must not break them. This is not really a game about breaking rules, it's a game about changing rules. And I think that's what I really enjoyed ultimately. It's that you come in, there is one environment and you can just kind of mess around with it until you figure out how to fix it and or win. And I think there's just a lot of polish and a lot of uh, flexibility in that concept that I don't see in a lot of other puzzle games where it's like, these are the rules, I have a very, very narrow rubric. You can solve these multiple ways. Um, I played a little bit with my husband, but he got a couple hours ahead of me and then he watched me play. And I was solving things in ways he never expected. And he was hours ahead of me. So he knew a lot more about how the game worked. And I was just 
my brain works a different way. So as someone who researches how people solve problems for a living, like I am, it's catnip for me. I, I want games that offer more than one solution that let people experiment and mess. Yeah, and we talked about this with uh, Obra Din, which, I mean, another uh, IGF award winner, but uh, Return of the Obra Din uh, was another game where it really... Um, it was really enhanced by playing along with somebody else. Uh, and I think that's probably now I didn't really get that opportunity with Baba is you, but like, this is definitely the kind of game where I think two heads would be better than one. And if you, if you can sit down and play this side by side on a couch with somebody who's, you know, like-minded in terms of puzzle game enjoyment, um, man, this would be a fun one to play that way. I, I, I kind of wish I had had that opportunity. I'm just rubbing it in. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I, um, I had one thing that I kind of made a note about that I wanted to talk about because I, I wanted to talk a little bit about how this game lets you opt into the really hard parts. You know, this game, we talked a little bit about how this game lets you uh, advance even if you're not playing, you know, even if you don't get everything, even if you don't complete every puzzle in every zone, you can still advance, you can still move on to ones that maybe you do get a little better. But it also pretty frequently gives you these little sidetracks where you can try these harder levels and sometimes much much harder so sometimes within a zone uh, shane you mentioned that you have the the puzzles that are sort of variations on each other i really like that sometimes they have these little offshoots that are even non-numbered levels they're clearly different than the regular numbered levels and they're clearly like extra and they're the dot levels yeah the dot levels and they're usually like harder versions of existing ones sometimes much much harder. So maybe you've just solved a puzzle and uh, you did it by, you know, p- pushing a key into a door, for example. And then here's the exact same level, but there's no key. Like, how do you do it? That kind of thing. Um, and sometimes much, much more complicated than that. And then there's even some levels that are just straight up out on the overworld that are labeled as finale levels. And I may never be able to complete one of these, but you unlock these really early on. Like the almost one of the first things you do in the game is unlock a level called Level Finale, A Way Out. And at first glance, it looks pretty similar to a lot of the other levels you might have played. But well, it, it has a lot of very complicated walls. You know, the, the level is di- divided into several sections. They're very complicated. And then if you look at the rules, you realize, oh my gosh, there are a lot a lot of rules here. So just for example, the rules in this particular level are wall is stop, rock is stop, baba is you, belt is belt, baba is hot, ice is melt, ice has wall, belt is shift, skull is defeat, and kiki is push. And that is all spread across a really intricate, complicated level. And I spent a good hour trying to figure this out. And I made some progress, but I did not finish it. And but I really like that these levels are there to kind of show you, like, if you if you are a complete madman, there are levels that are so complicated and so deep that you'll have a wonderful time, like, puzzling them out sometimes, probably for hours. Uh, I really like that it, 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 it lets you make the game easier for yourself, but it also clearly puts these signposts out here that are like, but if you want that really, really hard experience, it's right here and it's going to absolutely destroy you. I love it. Here be dragons. Exactly. Uh, uh, it's, so, it's so good at letting you set your own difficulty level sort of organically. And I really love that about it. 
Absolutely agree. The The pacing in the game is perfect. Yeah. And pacing is like entirely sort of self-directed, which is kind of impressive that it mm-hmm. feels like it has a good pace. I, uh, I feel like I would be remiss uh, if we got all the way through this and I did not at least spend 30 seconds complaining about the music. Oh. I was not a fan. Totally fair. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah. I am very pleased that I was able to turn the music off entirely. Uh, I found it pretty repetitive. Uh, and while I'm talking about that, in the settings, this game actually has some really lovely accessibility options. Uh, if you find the animation that it applies to all of the sprites to be distracting, you can disable it. Um, if you would find the game clearer in a different color scheme, there's some options there. Um, if the game is uh, clearer to you when a grid, a clear grid is applied over all the pieces, one can be enabled. So, uh, and also if the scaling that it sometimes does, um, where it will kind of zoom in on levels that have a reduced size, uh, is distracting or doesn't work well for your screen, that can also be disabled. So the game is uh, rife with nice accessibility options. Yeah, I really appreciated those. I did not really use them, although I did enable the grid for a couple of levels. And for the ones where it has really complicated block pushing, sometimes that actually did save time. The, the rewind kind of made that unnecessary for me because if I push something in just the wrong way, I could rewind and fix it and it never was a big deal. But it's, uh, it's definitely a helpful option. And... Um, when you mentioned the music, I totally agree. Uh, I I didn't hate the music, I think, maybe not as much as you did anyway, but Jamie certainly did. I played this on my uh, TV in the living room for a good long while, and uh, she kept saying things like, oh, are you playing that game again with the bad music? <laughs> and I was like, I'm sorry, I'll mute it. This became a podcast game for me pretty fast. Agreed. this game uh glad we checked it out uh you can find this game we mentioned it at the top you can find this game on the switch eShop for 15 dollars. it's also on pretty much all of the pc game stores for windows uh, i would like to see this game come out on other platforms too i think this game would work perfectly fine on mobile for example and i think it would be right at home there um i think uh and it would be nice if it came out on mac hint hint guy um but like hey this coming out day one on switch made it super accessible, at least for me. So I'm really glad they made that choice. I would have had a much harder time getting as far as I did in this game if it weren't literally on something I could like carry around the house with me. So uh, listeners of this show likely know that we have a segment we like to do at the end here called What's Making You Happy This Week. And non-listeners will never know that we do this segment. (laughs) Indeed. They will never know. So Laura, what's making you happy this week? I am not happy per se that I am prepping for a move uh, and trying to downsize our one bedroom apartment into a studio ready apartment. Yeah, fully um, half of the short game is preparing for a move right now. Ooh. I know. Ugh, it's Hi, Nate. Not the best timing, but I'm a couple months delayed. So Hi, Nate. <laughs> um, but yeah, we are doing the uh, Marie Kondo uh purge i mean i I technically should be saying it's a spark joy but really i don't don't think she calls it a purge 
Mm. I've called it the purge. Like, there's a big Google Doc with a bunch of things, like words like electronics, handbags, <laughs> like books, and it just says the purge at the top. So we've been going through this purge, and it is not per se making me happy to uh, get rid of books, but what has been making me really happy is um, reconnecting with the books I really love that I haven't looked at in a long time. Um, revisiting books that we own um, and making a list of like things that I've always meant to read but haven't. Uh, mm. There's a big stack of things that are kind of, you know, use it or lose it. Like we need to look at it, read a chapter or two, know if this is something we want to keep around. And I have, um, if you think my Steam library is bad with a guilt queue, my book queue is really bad too. So, but they're all things that are beautiful. Like I've got some really great comic books. I've got a book called like the studs turkle film and theater interviews which is just one of my favorite interviewers interviewing people i love why have i not read this book for three years i don't know but cleaning out and purging my stuff is making me really love the things that i'm keeping or at least the things that i'm thinking about keeping so i'm not pure marie kondo she would say you haven't read it by now you're never going to i refuse to admit that i'm taking this challenge I'm still going to be on the podcast, but I'm going to be reading a lot more. And I think there's some really good stuff in my future. Also, if anyone wants comics, uh, don't contact me because I will have already gotten rid of the books. Oh, well, I, I hope they go to a good home. They're going to children's charities. It's OK. That's great. That's really great. Um, man, I, I haven't had a downsize like that in a long time. And it is the worst thing. Like, so hang in there, Laura. I am. I am. uh I'm sure that once you get on the other side of it, it'll be very exciting to have a nice, tidy New York apartment. I thought I would be miserable, but honestly, looking at my four bookshelves gone down to one and a half is making me happy. Awesome. Like, I look at that bookshelf and everything on it I like. That's cool. That is cool. Well, um, speaking of books and comics, I guess the thing that that, uh, is making me happy this week is a comic, or specifically, it is a manga called... So I'm a spider. So what? Um, I don't usually like to recommend. So I don't, I don't usually recommend manga on this show uh, in this segment because <sighs> manga is so often so hard to it recommend. Because it makes you sound like a dweeb. <laughs> I mean, yes, yes, it does. But also, That's why. Like, like, also, let's like, be real. it's because your 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 rep is important. Yeah, but also, like, my taste in manga is like <sighs> not great. Like, I, I, I re, you know, I, I don't. I don't think I can recommend most of the stuff I read to a general audience, but like this is one that I really can. So I I was excited to have a manga that I I found that I enjoyed that I think I think is worth recommending. Um, So first, I need to kind of explain it a little bit. Um, If you're uh, if you read a lot of manga or watch a lot of anime, you know that over the last few years, there's been an absolute explosion in popularity in a genre called Isekai, which is like Japanese for like another world. So lots and lots and lots of anime and manga that features this plot that usually I find completely tedious or even frankly just distasteful. But the the general idea is that this is a genre in which usually some kid from Japan gets transmuted to another world where it turns out they're uh, they're the most powerful person in the universe now. And also all of the elves want to bone them or something, right? Like they're all, it's always transmit, you know, they're always getting um, uh, transported to a fantasy world where now they can do magic or whatever, right? 
Now they can do magic so that they can bone each other. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, and usually it's just gross. That's not a genre that I usually like. And it's it's specifically it's usually they're going into a a, a fantasy book or a video game. Yeah, yeah, and it's very often. So this I think it's all usually fantasy and. I think at least for a manga and anime audience, they really only look at fantasy worlds through the lens of uh, video games, particularly in Japan, where like, so all of these are sort of like, I got trans, trans I got uh, reborn in a fantasy world and it's just like Dragon Quest and my stats are awesome. But the problem that I usually had with that is like, it's usually pretty distasteful in in the way that it tells its story it's you know sometimes there's unpleasant things like and i i uh i'm a demon lord and i can command an army of titty elves or something and it's like very distasteful so okay sorry about all of that preamble this one i really like it's uh it's very much <laughs> it's very much in that same vein but it's 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 still an isekai. It's still got most of those tropes, but it's not horny. I mean, how big of a difference that make? I didn't know how big of a difference that would make to me. But so, so I'm a spider. So what is about a girl from you know a, a Japanese schoolgirl of some description? Fortunately, it never describes that aspect of the story at all. She is she is a human woman. Literally, for never one shows page never shows her face. It, she immediately dies in an explosion. And suddenly she is reborn. The end. As a as a level one spider enemy in a world that very closely resembles a Japanese video or uh, like a JRPG. So she's reborn as a like total scrub uh, level one spider, and she starts off by having to escape from her mother, who is a giant spider. Um, and uh, escape from her cannibalistic siblings, who are also all spiders. And turns out she's in a massive underground dungeon complex full of monsters. So on on your suggestion, I have read this, and I must say at this point, the spider is very cute. Yeah, the spider oh, is excellent. very cute, very cute spider design. Um, and so what I what I found I really liked about it was that like it absolutely dispenses immediately with the idea that this person was a person. Uh, it it is, it is just about a spider trying to be the very best spider she can be. She apparently was not particularly uh, happy in her human life. And so this is a great opportunity for her to try again doing something new. And she gives it her all and she tries to become the world's best spider. And so it's all about, it's five volumes of, of manga so far, it's still an ongoing series, and it's all about her trying to level up and become the most powerful thing in the dungeon. And it takes her all the way from being a complete pushover that has, you know, has to run away from snakes to being uh, still a spider, but able to take on dragons and other very powerful enemies. And it's told almost entirely in monologue. So, you know, something that I find really sort of something that I often found uh, annoying about these isekai type of things is that it's, it's like, wow, it's, it's shitty Japanese kid and his shitty friends being shitty in, uh, in the shitty fantasy world. 
not here. It's literally just her. And it's almost entirely, it's like five volumes of just a monologue of her describing her situation and fighting other creatures and leveling up and unlocking new abilities. It's very much still through that video game lens. So she's literally like getting readouts on like, what are my skills? How, what, how many points do I need to unlock a new skill? That kind of thing. But it's, it's really fun. Um, and it's only just now starting to unlock uh, to uh, involve some human characters, um, which is starting to um, change the direction of the story a little bit, but in ways that I'm starting to think are actually really interesting. And that's after five volumes of uh, of pretty much just solo spider versus other monsters in a dungeon. I really recommend this manga. It is on Comixology. You can get it for like seven bucks a volume. Um, and also, I, I don't, I hesitate to say this because I don't know if I really support it, but it, it's also available on most of those sort of manga reader sites. There's a lot of websites and even uh, apps out there where you can read manga that are questionable in terms of licensing. Uh, if you Google this, it will probably come, one of those will be the first result pretty far above the uh, um, uh, the like more legitimate options. So it's kind of hard to avoid. Um, but it's available and it's really fun. Uh, it's an ongoing series, so it's continuing to be released. Um, there's an anime coming out based on it sometime in 2020, I think. Um, but I, I looked at a video that was like a preview for that and they've redesigned the spider and she's much less cute. So read the manga. The spider is very cute. Um, oh. So that's my recommend for the week. I really enjoyed uh, So I'm a Spider, So What? Excellent. Shane, what's making you happy this week? Uh, so I, you guys know that I love finding um, weird, obscure niches in gaming, right? And uh, I was down at Coral Sword, my local game store, bar, coffee shop, uh, and I was playing some D&D, and they were having a sale they, where they were trying to kind of clear out some of the games that had sat around for a while, um, and I found this box. And my eye kind of was drawn to it for two reasons. One, uh, it was a box for a uh, collectible card game, Legend of the Five Rings, uh, which I've always heard is really good. And I thought, well, that would be neat to look at. Two, uh, it was marked down to $5. Now, when I opened it, uh, thinking to make sure that all the collectible cards would still be in the box, I found that it actually does not contain any Legend of the Five Rings cards it instead contained um, a board game called Dragon War and over 15 different uh, mint in uh, hanging uh, baggy uh, expansions for said game. Over 15 expansions. Okay. All in one, all in one box. Uh, so let me tell you a little bit about what Dragon War is. For those of you who know board games, you will this will make sense to you. Dragon War uh, has a... Uh, like a 1.2 on <laughs> uh no it's like a, it's like about a 2 on uh, on board game geek uh, oh, no. it is a uh it is a roll and move style board game which means you roll some dice and you move your guy um uh, basically a linear path part of the uh the shoots and dragons to this game it is shoots and dragons uh the story of the game is that uh, the Dragon King is dead, and the first one to get to the Dragon King's throne 
becomes the king of all the dragons, which is pretty strong thematically. Um, and uh, this is a game that has no board. Uh, and the reason that there are so many bagged expansions for it is that the game is played uh, by building a board by dealing out these cards. And the, the most important thing to know about this game and the reason I was willing to spend five bucks on it is that it is all illustrated absolutely lovingly uh, by an illustrator named Robert A. Krauss, who does some of the most extremely 1990s art that you've ever seen ever. And every single card in this box, and there's many, many in the core game, plus a lot more in the 15 different expansions, <laughs> is just elaborately and lovingly illustrated. Uh, and just to give you an idea of what you're, what I'm talking about here, there's just like hideous dragons, uh, hideous witches, uh, sexy ladies in bikinis, super spooky wizards, pumpkins, uh, skulls everywhere, more sexy ladies in bikinis. Uh, it really runs the gamut of like 1990s fantasy art, which is absolutely my jam. And to be frank, it is just fucking rad to look at. Hmm. Um, what I found just trying to dig up as much as I could about this, I was like, where does this come from? Who made this? Uh, Robert A. Krauss uh, is a illustrator who uh, has done some comics and things like that. He was most famous uh, for two things. One, a series of illustrations of various superheroes uh, where he made them all uh, weird and squashed and ugly. And two, for a character called Shaken the Forever Man, who had a Genesis video game called Shaken the Forever Man. <laughs> How did I miss that? This is a comic series and video game uh, about a wizard who was so badass that he said that he wanted to kill death and death cursed him to never die. So that is how Shaken became the forever man. Those of you in listener land should really just Google uh, Robert A. Kraus and see some of this art because it's a dope as fuck. <laughs> the technical term. <laughs> it really is. I'll try and put a link into the show notes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, his website, sadly, is not been updated in a very long time, but the Dragon War portion of it, uh, the parts of the game that don't rely on, or the parts of the website that don't rely on Adobe Flash have lots of examples of the art. Uh, neon colors and, like, grimacing anti-hero faces abound uh, pretty much ubiquitously. There are so many different weird expansions. There's like an expansion that adds a kind of a wheel of fortune element. Uh, there are, there's expansions that add more characters that you can play as, despite the fact that none of the characters are mechanically any different from any of the other characters. <laughs> there's a, there's expansions that add these like little mini boards that you, add. oh, so I should say that the board, you like deal out the cards onto the table in a big grid and that becomes the board. And it's basically like you said, shoots and ladders. So like, as you go through, you're like, you land on a square and it's like, oh, a goblin takes all of your gold or whatever. Uh, <laughs> Is this any fun to play? Uh, I don't know yet, but I want to play it so bad. I only got it yesterday, uh, so I haven't had a chance to, to play it. I also haven't decided whether or not I will open any of the expansions or whether I will keep them mint <laughs> packaging from 1990, uh, but they're so super great. There's 
you know, the, the different expansion boards come in like all different various sizes. But the, the one thing that just everything has is it's absolutely plastered in this guy's fucking amazing, grotesque, hyper neon art. And I love it. Awesome. That sounds like maybe not a fun game to play, but looks like a sounds like a super fun thing to look at. And sometimes that's all yeah. it takes for five bucks. Absolutely. I, I'm thinking about ways that I could turn it into some kind of display. I just want to I just want to put this art up uh, in my game room so that people can look up and see uh, the Castle of Doom next to the haunted house next to Pandora's box next to the evil merman card uh, next to the gypsy caravan card, uh, <laughs> you know, and just just gaze upon all of them in their glory. Awesome. Well, this that, that is super rad, and I'm glad you're enjoying it. I'll hopefully check it out when I when I uh, visit you next. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of The Short Game. Uh, you can find our show on the internet at www.theshortgame.net, where you'll also find a contact form. Uh, we haven't gotten any suggestions over the last few weeks, uh, which is a little unusual. So if you and we would love to get some. So if you have a short game that is on your list, something that you have played or are interested in that you think would be right for the show, uh, let us know. Drop us a line. Now would be a great time to do that. It would also be a great time to leave us an iTunes review. Um, That's always a helpful thing. I know that uh, every podcast asks you to do it, uh, but if you have a minute, it's pretty easy to do. Uh, One quick way to do it, if you're not sure how, is you can go to our website, www.theshortgame.net, and there's a great big button that says Apple Podcasts. And if you click that, that'll take you to the page where you can subscribe to our podcast, but also from that page, on whatever device it happens to be on, uh, it should have an option to leave us a review, and we would really appreciate it. Uh, And of course, uh, five-star reviews only. If you leave us a two-star review, you we will come to your house and make you play dragon war <laughs> so uh let's see you can find me on the internet at www oh, no you can't you can find me on twitter at reagan k uh laura where can people find you you can find me on twitter at laura j nash and shane where can people find you you can find me on twitter at 8 bit shane and thank you listener for joining us on this episode of the short game